What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. My name is Harrison Gilming, worship arts director here at Lake Forest in Huntersville with... Happy, happy getting deep into summer now from Mike Moses, lead pastor, founding pastor, Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Good to be with you all today. Today, we are going to hear what one black professor at Wheaton College said is the primo negative experience of a black Christian who visits a predominantly white evangelical church. Mm. We'll hear what that might mean for Lake Forest. Uh, but f- that's, that, a good, that's a good hook. Well, that relates <laughs> to our three macro goals that we just talked about in staff meeting yesterday for Lake Forest Huntersville for the second half of the year. So we'll, you, our Ask LFC podcast folks, you should hear what our staff are jonesing on and juicing on. Um, while we all do our ministry, there's kind of three strands we want to all be pulling toward asking the Lord to do more in us uh, this fall. But first, uh, Harrison, you know what our listeners, we've probably got 20 emails about this, maybe 100 that, asking <laughs> for me to cover one topic on this podcast. Yeah. Okay, oh, guess what it is? Uh, your definitive ranking of all nine major Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember them all. Yeah, I, mean, I just yeah. enjoy them. I'm not, I don't have that kind of brain. My sons will correct me if I misnumber them. But no, yeah. that is not it. What at the Ask LFC podcast listeners are just dying to hear. They're thirsting. They're, they're texting. They're Facebooking. Everything hmm. is, Mike, could you tell us about our denomination's annual meeting they just had outside of Detroit, Michigan? Could you, That's could you right. break down yeah. the, what's called the General Assembly of the EPC? Because we're just inquiring minds want to know yeah, I mean, I had to put together an auto response email to those. That just say <laughs> we're gonna get, we're getting there, we're getting there. Hold, hold on, we'll announce it on Twitter and Facebook. We'll go live on live stream, all the things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last week I was <clears throat> unable to travel to Detroit, but it, uh, which was sad because I've been in the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, for thirty years ish now. Not quite that. Um, and so just dear brothers and sisters who are uh, pastors and elders at churches around the country uh, who have led various things with regionally and nationally. So I did miss the iron sharpens iron thing, but I zoomed in, and I'm going to give you three, 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 three highlights of the annual. Because if, if you're a Christian and you follow the news, you notice the Southern Baptists were having their annual convention, and wow, did the... Did the rank-and-file body of Southern Baptists rise up and say, oh, we will do the right things. We are taking the reins of our denomination out of the hands of a few from a former generation who were protecting the institution over individuals. And I, uh, I was proud, I guess I would say, I mean, not that I am a Southern Baptist, but what I saw of their convention. So how about if I give three just brief highlights of the denominational meeting. Is, is that allowed, Harrison? I would love three brief highlights. And when you're done with the three brief highlights, I have a brief follow-up question for you. But give me the highlights first, and then I'll hit you with the question. You're the one with the questions about the denominational meeting. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, number one, a friend of mine is now the head staff of our denomination. He transitioned from being pastor of one of our lead churches outside of Pittsburgh, Dean Weaver, and he's now the head of the denomination. And um, Well, uh, so, first of all, um, the denomination debated on the floor and approved 
appointing a representative group to write a pastoral letter uh, to the to the denomination this time next year on uh, lamenting uh, the state of of uh, racial fracture in our country and racism. Mm -hmm. Now, as you can imagine, there's a lot of strong opinions about should we say anything about racism is to say anything to be woke is to say the wrong thing to not uh, care, repent enough of racism, etc. So there were very strong opinions. And at the end of, of the debate, however, it was it was overwhelmingly passed. And my friend Dean, who's the head of the denomination, got up and gave a little speech that I really appreciated. He said, brothers and sisters, um, we just debated and passed something that was just touched deeply held things in each of us. And you know what? No one attributed bad motives to one another. We did not. You treated one another the way the scriptures say to treat. We disagreed. Hmm. We spoke directly. But we did not conduct our business the way the world uh, conducts its business these days. That's not how we do it. Um, we do it in the spirit and well done. Mm. Um, uh, so I, I just thought just that little bit for you to hear the ethos of the EPC is known among in the denominational world as a um, familial or rela- familial. We're too big to be a family, but uh, it's it's relational. It is. Um, designed around being collegial so that's our culture so mm-hmm. i i thought maybe that was helpful to hear both the content of that and from it uh the second thing our church planting team of which one of our elders jack kathy he's longtime professor in the business school at unc charlotte he's one of our founding elders and they're the kathy's are one of our founding families he and i co-lead our church planting efforts for the lake forest family of churches but he is also on the national church planting team for our denomination, um, just because he's a great thinker about it. And it was announced that uh, over the last um, uh, five years or so, we have tripled the number of EPC churches involved in church planting. It's now a majority. It's about 70, 75% of our churches are either a parent, partner, or patron of a church plant. Hmm. We're, we do all three of those at Lake Forest. And, and I was remembering, I used to be on that national church planning team. I was remember sitting in our old offices, you know, over there that's now the two-year-old's room. That's right. Here on campus. It, and the national church planning team was meeting here, and they came up with this idea of, oh, the vision is every church in the EPC is either a parent of a church plant, which is what we do when we start a f- Lake Forest family of church, is either a partner of a church plant um, which is what we are doing with a new startup church in an artsy district in Richmond. We're, we're investing heavily in coaching that church planter. We're using them to allow our financial system till they can do it on their own. Or every church is a patron, and we do this with another church plant in Virginia that we, we're encouraging them with some donations, but mm-hmm. not at a they're not going to sink or, or, or swim based on our donations. So yeah. that's just super encouraging that the EPC is becoming a multiplying de- denomination, a church planning denomination. The third item left us all scratching our heads, our theology committee. And you can imagine, the, you know, the types of folks who would gravitate to be on the National Theology Committee for a Presbyterian denomination are pretty fired up about theological distinctives, a little bit more than you've experienced me being so. 
the theology committee came back and said, okay, hey, we've had this temporary allowance for virtual communion, which has never been done in the history of the world, of Christianity. Due to COVID. Due to COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now there's technology. So people are worshiping along from a distance. um, uh, We allowed temporary, and that was a temporary usage. It was different than historic Christianity. And we are ruling that it is no longer proper to encourage people to take communion by distance. Well, theologically, there was just a lot of questions about that. Uh, And it was mostly friends of mine who pastor churches like ours who are multi-site or they have a significant online uh, ministry like, well, what does that mean? Am I supposed to... When I offer communion now, say only people in the room. If you're, hey, if you're not, uh, there's something called fencing the table, which is, hmm. hey, communion is only for Christians. If you're not a Christian yet, you know, we say this sometimes. Uh, please pause and reflect and talk to the Lord, but please refrain from taking it. Am I supposed to also now fence the table? Hey, if you're on video, don't you dare go get some juice or some bread out of there. And uh, uh, it just, it left us with a lot of questions. Um, I, I'm, I, in, I think in good conscience, while we're trying to work, that was their recommendation. Yeah. I, I don't know that we're bound by that. Yeah. I, I don't intend to discourage people worshiping online from um, doing that anytime soon. But, but our elders will need to grapple with that a little bit. Sure. Um, no, that's, I think what you just said already partially answers the question that I was going to follow up with for you, Adam, out of curiosity. I know your answer. I think for all two of the listeners who've stayed on, that's right. After hearing we were going to talk about the annual (laughs) denominational meeting. No, that's, that's, that's good stuff for this reason. I'll give you this question (laughs) to, to put a bow on it before we move on. Okay. Um, why? It doesn't even have to be for Lake Forest specifically. You work a lot with church planners. That's uh, mm. you you teach uh, you teach at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and you talk a lot about church planning. So, with that hat, whether either either pertains directly to your experience here or as you've seen, what is the benefit of a church partnering in within a denomination rather than being a lonely island church? Out, out in the sea on their own? Oh, good question. Um, because it's biblical. Um, mm-hmm. I was an independent church, parachurch Christian before I went to seminary, and engaging with the New Testament, I discovered <clears throat> that the New Testament church is was fully connectional. It, it's just, this is the warp and woof of the whole New Testament, and it's even the substance of the letters. It's presumed under the epistles, and it's shown in, in the book of Acts, that the New Testament church churches were mutually submitted to one another for right doctrine and right Mm. practice as best evidenced by the uh, Jerusalem council, which Paul submitted himself to the judgment of the gathered church leaders about propriety of the gospel to the Gentiles and what should be required of them. He didn't just go, I'm sorry, God told me that that's okay. He did say that, but he also was in mutual submission to the other churches. And so Number one, it's it's unbiblical for a church and a pastor to be an authority unto themselves. That doesn't mean I hate all my independent church pastor friends, but I do gently share discuss this 
because it's it's a recent innovation in church history. It's only happened starting in America, basically, uh, in the last fifty hundred years. So mm. uh, that's the number one reason. Number two is uh, just for all the mutual aid, encouragement, for accountability, for your th- your theology to, to for you to not drift with every new trend. Uh, it, it was helpful for me when I was I went deep into the emerging church movement in the early '80s, and some of you will know what that is. Um, being a part of a denomination where my I, I had pledged to certain ordination standards of my theology and my practice helped me to remain orthodox as a Christian and know what the boundary lines were when we were experimenting for mission. How do what can we change in the church? so that our mission is more effective to this post-Christian culture. But the boundary lines for me were super clear, the authority of Scripture and, uh, and historic Christian Orthodox mm. doctrine, and in my case, Presbyterian. So that's a couple of answers. That's good. As a super short follow-up question, this is called a leading question if we were in court. I might get over, uh, overruled, objected. Uh, how much more successful... With your with your church planter professor hat, how much more successful are church plants that are closely part of and supported by a denomination rather than someone who just says, "I'm gonna start a church." They embark out on their own. We don't have that exact measurement, but what what we what we can what what is measured <clears throat> is those who start with the things that you get in a denomination or a network. So if you have a coach, a church planning coach. Hmm. Uh, your success goes up. If you have a sponsoring church or churches sponsoring you, you, the success rate goes up. This is all measured at four to five years in for a church plant. Um, So those are two examples that are much higher percent going to happen in a denomination or increasingly in networks as well that are denomination-ish. Yeah. Um, I'll give them credit for that. Yeah, there's a lot of church planning Uh, networks out there. Uh, so, So to your Question: Yes, the 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 self appointed. God told me I'm just going to go do it, yeah. and doesn't have uh, partners and authority over them. Fails at a significantly higher rate hmm. than those who are networked. Well, this has been your Evangelical <laughs> Presbyterian Church update. In all seriousness, though, we are we are really glad uh, to be a part of a denomination for all that comes with that. Mike, you've played. Uh, big role in in helping lead and shape the future of of our denomination uh in a really direct role in the past and even for sure in supporting roles and lending your uh you know your your wisdom and guidance uh even on zooms this week so when they installed the new president the three-year it's a three-year term uh the new president this year uh which is three years at a time and it's unpaid um, it's a pastor and elder. My eye was twitching so bad. I, I don't even know how. Those were the years we were starting to plant Davidson and Westlake, and uh, Lake Forest was growing. And I, I don't even know how I got on all those planes and served as president uh, and didn't lose my marriage or my pastorate. But the, the, it was joyful. It was really joyful. But I'm I'm glad that's in my past. I'm not. Uh, you can't repeat. <laughs> yes. That role. 
Okay, so speaking of the focus being at Lake Forest um, and not our denomination is there to support us, and it does not see the churches as supporting its existence. It's there to support healthy church existence and our mission to make more and better disciples. That was stated bunches of different times and ways, and that's a healthy. It's not a top-down. It's a bottom-up denomination. So, in our sta- um, so everybody. Be sure and mark your calendars for the final week of June next year, summer of 2023, when you'll get your next church <laughs> denomination update. For all uh, of you who email in, that that's the answer. That's yeah. all I'm going to reply yeah, Don't with. be emailing us between yeah. now and then. It, it'll come after the General Assembly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. How would you say I framed, we framed these three, how have you heard these three goals that... Uh, you and I and sort of our lead staff discerned this is what we're, we're, we're going to be we're all working and praying toward even as we even as you're doing your you're doing your weekly ministry you know mm-hmm. what your goals are how would you frame up these three macro goals the way we're thinking of yeah so um, I, I will before we say what they are uh, to give the the background of them I think we've you for sure talked about this a little bit on here. Actually, as, uh, as we were thinking about talking about this for the podcast, I was reflecting and realized that for sure we have talked around on here, all, all the big ideas we're going to talk about today, yeah, but we wanted no to surprise, dive into no a little surprise. bit more, but the foundation for all this stuff is that, uh, as Mike told our staff yesterday, our Huntersville staff, as we met, upstairs in our offices in that cool little conference room looking out over our parking lot. Um, we have been in a, uh, I went to a couple of high school graduations, uh, a couple weeks ago for my nephew and my son and, uh, my nephew's graduation at Porter Ridge high school and in Indian trail, the valedictorian gave a speech and in her speech, she said kind of as a running joke, she said, there's a word we never thought about a lot before that, has been associated with us now. The word is unprecedented. These mm. are unprecedented times. These are unprecedented <laughs> circumstances yes. with an unprecedented virus that's causing. Remember, there was about a month we banned any of us saying that in our worship services. It, yes, <laughs> but, yes. And yet it's apt. It, yeah, it has been apt because for us, just like every everyone listening to this, no matter what you do, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine there is a niche of uh, a, a kind of work that you could do that has been unaffected by Angie Moses, who is a writer in her home study. Yeah. But she's the only person that it <laughs> did not in an unprecedented way affect her work. Yeah. Uh, but in her, in her life and really, I mean, for all of us yes, in kidding. some ways. So, so uh, for us here, that has been super accurate. You would know if you've been, going to church for the last couple of years. If you didn't just walk in the doors a couple of weeks ago and you missed everything that happened for the past couple of years, you may be the only person that doesn't know how it's affected us in churches. But, uh, you know, we were in a weird couple year stretch where, uh, many people rightly so for a while had no option to come in person because we were shut down doing stuff online. We started ramping things back up and we were, masked and we were distanced and we were not doing a lot of the normal ministry stuff that we do with men's ministry, women's ministry, student ministry, a lot of the serving opportunities that we have here on Sunday, just everything was different. So it's kind of like we, we 
pulled over for a while and now people are trying to figure out kind of how to merge back onto the highway because they've been sitting in park. A lot of them kind of collecting some dust and they're trying to figure out how do I get back up to speed in my life spiritually. And, and our job here as, uh, as staff members, as proclaimers of the gospel and leaders of ministry here at Lake Forest church, um, our job is to think about stuff like this Mm -hmm. and think about, okay, well, how can we help people merge back in smoothly? How can we give them, Mm -hmm. uh, some good points to say that this is how you get back in this. And for us as a staff, what are going to be our targets as we look at the next year or so of how we're leading things to say, um, we have a unique opportunity to say, Hey, this is the kind of church that we want to be a year yeah. from now. And how do we, yeah. what, what, what targets do we set to get there? So that's been a lot of the thinking behind this is we've met with some of what we call our shepherding team, some of our staff level ministry team leaders mm-hmm. kind of brainstorming saying, Hey, what do we need to think about this year? E- even while uh, we're going to preach sermons on what we're going to preach on, we're going to be preaching on Galatians each chapter consecutively in July and August. We'll do Advent in December. <laughs> uh, children's ministry will happen on Sunday mornings. They'll have some special events. Remix will be doing their stuff. They're great stuff on Sunday evenings. But, so that's just the, I mean, we're the blocking and tackling of discipling people with the word of God. Um, mm-hmm. In that, what to your point, but we're in a cultural moment. And how, what are our larger discipleship goals that lead people to a healthier place in Christ long term? And, and we've determined three through the end of the year. We're not, uh, I don't, I personally, uh, don't think it's yet time to even know what some of the longer term changes will and should be in in our world, in the church world, and therefore let's blow some bunch of stuff up right now and start totally different direction. I, I think that's still to come. And in fact, I haven't told you this. I may accept an invitation into a national cohort of some lead pastors of churches our size and multi-site churches, bringing in. Uh, like every two or three months, we'll go meet somewhere and bring in some national thought leaders on mm-hmm. how does this change the practice of our faith? How do we actually now, what what are the new things that are possible to be even more effective? So we're not pining for the day. Oh, I wish we could get back to how church was in 2019. We can't waste any time on that. The Holy Spirit moves forward. So I'm going to be a part of a group that's engaging thought leaders because I want to learn from people. Um, I don't, I don't see it yet Hmm. like this whole, but so for the next six months, here's the three things I'll do it in three words and then we'll come back and talk about each of them just for a moment. The first word is belong. The second word is 28078. That's the Huntersville zip code. And the third are two words, Missio Dei. So belong, 28708 and Missio Dei. Okay. Uh, so the, the, the belong one, number one, is the same macro goal we had for the first half of the year, which was uh, the – and if you're an Ask LFC podcast listener, you, you've heard Harrison and I talk about this. Um, studies show that the discipleship behavior that most went o- away, other than in-person church attendance, was belonging. That's one of our four discipleship words, belonging in – Christian community, significant, like actually being in a 
a measurable group that meets over time in some committed way and in some way opens up God's word, uh, uh, studies it, prays for one another, uses the spiritual gifts, all the one another's in the New Testament, in some kind of measurable community. That, that along with in-person attendance, with serving in your church, with going on mission, uh, many discipleship <clears throat> behaviors waned, mm-hmm. uh, understandably so. In many cases, necessarily so. However, the one discipleship behavior that studies show is um, twice as predictive as the others, that if you do this discipleship behavior, all the other things that that have good discipleship outcomes in your life, like becoming more like Christ, like a prayer life, <clears throat> being in Scripture yourself, serving with your spiritual gifts, uh, in your church, things like that, uh, being a generous person. Belonging in community is the discipleship behavior that is most predictive of all the other healthy behaviors. Hmm. You know how, like, they say that um, belonging to a gym <clears throat> is not necessarily the most predictive of whether you're becoming a physically healthy person. It's more if the people you hang out with are physically healthy and fit, then you're more likely to become fit than if you just belong to a gym. You might be one of those people who's just paying a membership. <clears throat> and I think that's a similar principle here. It's the way God made us, right? And so our responsibility as a church, as Harrison said, is to our job is to think about these things <laughs> and then to lead the people of God. So everything we do over the next six months will be an attempt to— um, I, I'm hoping that we would grow by 50% the number of— identified regular Lake Forest Hunterville people, <clears throat> excuse me, who are in measurable community by the end of the year compared to where they are now. And and we'll our staff are meeting in July. We'll have tactics around that. We'll have you won't you, some some of it you'll notice some of it'll be really subtle. Uh uh like uh yeah. So, that's number 1. <clears throat> I an, an analogy you just made I think is super apt and reminds me of one of my favorite terms that we have here not even behind the scenes, right up, right out in the front. Um, we call our people that are deciding to engage in that next step with us here in partnership. Uh, we call them ministry partners, not members. You mentioned the gym thing. Um, there's a big difference between being a member at a gym. You show up, you yeah. work out, um, and, and being a partner in having an interest in like, how is the gym running? Are do people enjoy being at the gym? Can I help make it a better experience? Because I care about this. Like so, for for us, that's what I think. CrossFit, for example, seems to have captured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like the buy-in level of like I, I don't just not to dis. It's 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 like um, it's a language difference, and I'm sure there are churches that call their members members that are partnering in ministry oh, in major yeah. ways oh, so i'm most, not yeah. i'm not yeah. saying that but i love yeah. the i love the term because i think language is really helpful and i think mm-hmm. for us uh having people <clears throat> be called ministry partners paints a really clear picture of mm-hmm. what our hope for them is which is not to sit on the sidelines and uh be partakers but to be in the mix with us and to help us really, I don't know, be, be creators and executors of what we're doing. Because I tell our band 
and tech team every Sunday. We sit down here at about 8.15. We go over the service plan and we pray together. And almost every Sunday I tell that that team, um, without each one of you that come here and partner with us and Mm -hmm. serve every single week, there is no Sunday morning as we do it. It'd be, it'd be me and Mike and Jeff and whoever just playing a guitar real loud and yelling like these people make (laughs) these people and their ways that they serve with their gifts. It's so awesome. Well, and an example of growing the number of people uh, in community would be what the band has started doing during one of the worship services. You come back here, you say, how's everyone doing? You pray for one. People are really open. That's now become now. I would, and by the way, we need to be sure that this is reflected the next time we measure it. I would say that anyone who's a regular on your band is in measurable Christian community. I don't know that that would have been true two years ago when you guys weren't doing that. So that's an example we probably need to get into our system and measure that. Yep. Um, so just want you to hear that. And, and so hear what that first goal wasn't. How can we make as many people as possible be in in-person worship every Sunday. I'm just not getting wrought about that. I'm just not yet to a place where I'm emotional about how many, how few on any given Sunday, just because of where culture and people are. Not that I won't have some exhortatory (laughs) moments, like when it's back to school, I'm going to be like, hey, your kid's going back to school. You're not like wondering if you're going to do that. Yep. <laughs> um, in person worship, the Bible, you know, says in person. I'll say some things like that, but just know that I'm not. I, I'm not hyper attaching my own self identity or our churches to some great increase in that over these next six months. I think it's more responsible for your discipleship if I and our staff are leading you and I and all of us to value Christian community highest, because the Holy Spirit then is most likely going to be developing you in every other way. So mm. that's number one. Number two, That was belong. Number two, 28078. You, you've heard us say this a lot, but um, we, we now want to move this from just prayer and aspiration to um, plans and tactics, uh, which is that our Sunday morning worship services would reflect the ethnic uh, makeup of the 28078 zip code. Which I just looked up, uh, Harrison, is 8% African American, is it 77 or, or more percent uh, white, um, the uh, Latino or Hispanic was a bit, was lower than I expected, hmm. it was, um, I saw it two different places, and the, uh, it was measured odd, with odd language in the 2020 census, but uh, somewhere between four and six percent. So um, we have a ways to go on that, clearly, um, and we just think that that's that's being on mission to your zip code is we should reflect that. Um, and so, uh, number one, but as we've been praying about this and making some changes, we've actually noticed a difference already. Yeah, in the last number of months, uh, which is super encouraging, and and we have some. Again, some strategies and some tactics for this um, that, uh, you know, a- as 
some people of color become ministry partners here and offer to serve in ministry. We'd love for them to be someone in ministry positions serving where they're seen as, as a welcoming person so that guests uh, of any uh, race or ethnicity might go, oh, I could see myself here if that person's here. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Um, I, I, now back to the denominational meeting because everybody's like, yeah, don't t- we're really bored now. Would you go back to that? <laughs> that's right. But I heard, there was this great presenter on this very point. Uh, an African-American professor at Wheaton College, which is like the Harvard of Christian colleges. Uh, no offense, Harrison, to your alma mater. That's, that's fine. Okay. None taken. Um, and uh, he, uh, he was talking. He, gave, he was in a leadership seminar to our denomination, um, and it was on um, Christians and race and politics. I forget exactly the main thesis, but he gave this long, erudite, educated lecture. Smart, really smart guy. And then, uh, and he said, "Well done to the EPC because the denomination is all, also has a similar vision here called Revelation seven nine vision for our denomination. And Revelation seven nine is every tribe, every tongue, you know, every tongue, every nation before the throne. And let's pull that future into the present as much as possible." And he said, "I, I well done, EP, he, This guy, is, this man, is not part of our denomination." And he said, "But well done on you." for wanting more faces of color. And he said, and I, so I wrote this down here, and he said, and I haven't shared this with you. He said, don't go through these four phases of a black Christian visiting a predominantly white evangelical church. And I was like, oh, hey, that, you just said my prayer request. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's what he said as, as a black evangelical. He said, number one, the, the, the black Christian visiting predominantly white church is like, oh, dude, I love your distinctives. I love this white church, even though it's pretty white. Love it. Uh, step number one, phase number one. Number two, phase. Then an election happens. Hmm. And, and the black Christian's like, wait, all y'all Republicans? All y'all super conservative Republicans? Huh. I, I didn't really, that didn't really come across to me at first. Uh, number three, distress. Third phase. Hey, when I bring it up, they talk about why you always want to talk about race. I'm, these are uh, these are the words I wrote down. That he said, um, and the the third st- phase of distress is these are the people in my church and who I trusted, but they don't listen to me, and they're not looking to receive equal value to my black evangelical Christian view. Actually, when we talk about these things, they're only trying to correct my errors, which brings up an interesting thing. Sometimes when the news media or we ourselves say evangelicals, and when I use that word, I'm thinking about biblically orthodox Christians. I'm not using the political phraseology. Um, But um, did you know that there's a higher percentage of black Christians who are evangelical than white Christians? Hmm. And yet... Historically, their politics are very different. Like there's this norm in each. And so that third phase is they experience distress as their point of view being viewed as unbiblical, and therefore maybe they're lesser than as a a biblical Christian. Hmm. And then the fourth phase, he says, is the decision, do I need to leave here? Uh, And and, uh, he said the way to avoid this is just listen. Don't tell Christians of color in your fellowship 
what their experience is of the faith and of America. Don't tell them what they should be feeling. Uh, and he said, uh, have you ever tried that in your marriage? And everybody laughed out loud. Um, uh, and he said that, you know, I've heard bl- a black person in a predominantly white fellowship saying, you say you see me, but you don't learn from me. You only seek to inform me. Hmm. Uh, and, and then he said, what's worse is then when a black Christian checks out of that white Christian church, their conclusion is, well, th- that their theology requires my erasure or ignoring me or only looking at some cultures and only conforming to some cultures. And then this, this professor who, who he writes a lot in Christianity Today and other publications, he said, I'm thoroughly convinced that orthodox evangelical theology can create multi-ethnic Christ-centered community, but we are not there yet. Hmm. In other words, this goal is a hard one, and it won't be instant, and we may have uh, failures, and we, we will have a lot to—I will have a lot to learn, I'll just say. Um, just one small tactic. Just Sunday, I, I, in, I corrected myself in between services in my sermon manuscript because I noticed some faces of color in the first service and realized that—and uh, I'm just thinking back through my manuscript. So the second service— I added in, I cut out a lot of stuff, but one thing I added in was when I got to the part about the context of who the book of Hebrews was written to, and I mentioned it was written to people who already knew what it was to be a minority in a majority culture, Hmm. Jewish. And I said, some of you in this, in our congregation, you know what that's like. I don't. I said, but now when they became Christian, they're a minority within a minority, and that's even harder. Just that, I'm just... That's an example of how I'm attempting to do this goal number two in my ministry, and we're asking every ministry to just be prayerful and thoughtful um, uh, that, hey, yes, we, we, we planned for you to be here, and we need you for us to be a more better rounded fellowship who can read the Bible th- through different lenses than just one monoculture. Yeah, and that's something that... Uh, across the board as a staff, we all are excited about because we think uh, walking into Lake Forest should feel the same as walking into your kid's school or walking into Publix or Pinkies down here on the corner yeah. that this should, this should not be a, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't right now, but we, uh, we, we feel strongly toward that goal and we're trying to lead well and listen well to your point. So the third macro goal for the rest of the year for Lake Forest Hunters, well, really we're talking for the fall and Christmas season <clears throat> is Missio Day. Mm-hmm. We just want a Missio Day overwhelm. Um, number one, we couldn't do a lot in mission, external mission during the pandemic, right? Number two, we also went one staff down. We were without a Missio Day leader, um, and now we have our Missio Day pastor, Andrew Ruth, here uh, to lead us, and, and he does not lack for energy, Harrison. No, he does not. No. Um, and... What kind of a, a, a faith do we, after all, do I really want to go after and have our church be known for and attract believers to give their lives for, which is God's mission of love to the world through Jesus Christ, showing and sharing the healing power of the gospel uh, in the ways that we go and, and 
and the power of the Holy Spirit and together in community address the, the aching hurts of the world in our town um, uh, and other countries. So we, we will just kind of have an overwhelm. We're working on what that will mean. Um, but we need to have a discipleship that's worth giving your life to. And if it's only internal to the church or about my own spiritual growth, that that's great. Um, but that's actually not the whole gospel. So, yep. And the and the main reason we do it obviously is because numerous times Scripture tells us to do it. So that's the that's the obvious thing. But beneath the surface, I think the interesting cultural thing um, is that we uh, people younger folks you know, millennials and down Gen Z younger, there's kind of like a, there's kind of like a put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Or like, show me, if you show me, that means a hundred times more than if you tell me something. And I think, uh, people there's, there's a winsomeness to the gospel when we as a community can not only say, Hey, you should love people. Uh, but we actually do it. I I saw a thing went viral the other day. I don't think it's entirely true, but I think it reflects a lot of how culture can view the church right now where it's like, man, I don't know any Christian that is known by their love. This is a perspective of a non-Christian person. Like when I think of a Christian, I don't think I know them by their love, which is what the the Bible wants us to be known as. And we want to be a community of people that are known for that genuinely and how we care uh, for people on God's mission here, around the world, wherever. So we want to show it. And that means Missio Day every day. It means viewing our everyday interactions as just what you said. Uh, a An expert on evangelism, that word, gave another leadership seminar um, at the denominational meeting. Hey, I'm back to that again. <laughs> um, and this was helpful. He said, we're, we're in a phase of our culture that is anti-proselytism, particularly Christian proselytization. But your neighbor who is not a Christian or spiritual but not religious, um, if you're actually living out the way of Jesus, your neighbor is not anti-you. They actually trust you. And studies show, he quoted this long study, that... um, People who are not Christians don't identify as Christian. In, st- in surveys, they will say, yeah, if I have a friend who is a Christian, I'm open to them talking about their faith. And this is why just being on the Missio Day every day, uh, having our home be a mission, our table, <laughs> our back deck with a cookout, um, is really uh, how the good news of Jesus can spread to people who who think it's bad news but really need it. Um, so, hey, thanks for this episode, for tuning in. We will be back next week. I think we should do part two on the denominational meeting. We really I, dig I in should, deep this time. Yeah, I, I think let's get to the approval of the minutes portion <laughs> of the week, which was scintillating. Yeah, if you get into like the deep processes and procedures of how those meetings are run, okay. I think okay. that would be really good. So you I'll bring my Robert's Rules of Order book and, my, and my golden gavel. And your grand, po- and your grand poobah yeah. hat. Yeah, that is not really gold. <laughs> Probably not. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Ask LFC Podcast. See you guys.